Our reading today is from Mark 1, 29 through 45. God speaks to us in his word. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they were brought to him, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged them and sent them away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. And you can have a seat. Thank you, Leslie. Good morning. Is doing all right? That was a very loud response. I appreciate that. This is going to be a long morning if we're going to roll like this. Hey, my name is Jeff Nine. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at Frontline Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I uh, would love to meet you afterwards. Uh, what, what I love about the fact that we are one church in multiple congregations is that what, what God is doing in and through Frontline is not just located in what's happening in this building here in Shawnee or what's happening downtown or in Edmond South, or uh, where, where I live out in Yukon. But God is working through us as one church in all those different places, and we get to encourage one another. And so uh, I get the privilege of leading our efforts in church planning and church strengthening as a church, and I love to do that. But I also get to serve on the ground with our newest congregation out in Frontline Yukon uh, and starting that, that church. Let me just say this. Uh, if you are thinking, hey, let's plant a church in a pandemic, um, it goes all right, but it is tough. Um, I think we would have picked a different timing had we known what was coming. And yet, here's what's been beautiful, is the Lord's grace has just been abundant. The Lord's grace in this moment, in this season, that none of us would have picked, has been abundant. And so it's great that we get to do that together as one church, to serve one another and love one another. And so thanks for letting me be here this morning. Not that they gave you an option. You just showed up and I was here. Um, but uh, hopefully had, uh, never mind. 
I don't know where that was about to go, but it probably wasn't going to go anywhere good. Um, hey, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to continue walking through the gospel of Mark. We started this a few weeks ago uh, as an entire church walking through this gospel and seeing what does it tell us about who Jesus is. Now here, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm so glad you're here. This is a safe place for you to be here with your questions, to be here with your doubts. Um, you don't have to believe like we believe to participate in what we're doing, but what we are asking you to do is to jump in with us as we look at this Gospel of Mark and ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? At the center of the Christian faith is a man, Jesus Christ, and that's what we're talking about. Now, if you are a Christian, uh, maybe you've been a Christian for a really long time, following Jesus for a long time, and let's just, let's just remember and own the fact that none of us ever arrives to complete full knowledge, nor do we always walk in a way that accords with that. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is, as we walk through this text and as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, for you to constantly be asking the Father that by His Spirit, He would show you more clearly who He is, who, more clearly who Jesus is, and what that means for your life. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me as we dive into this text this morning. God, thank you for the grace of your word, that, that your words here are for us and for our good. And I thank you that by your spirit, you teach us what it means. You, you teach us by your spirit how to see more clearly who we are and who you are. So I'm asking that today you would speak to us in new ways, in fresh ways, that you would teach us who Jesus is. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you are over 40, you likely uh, were confronted with a song by, from Bette Midler called From a Distance. If you're under 40 uh, and you missed this one, um, you didn't miss much. But it's an, interesting, it's an interesting song in the sense that I think it captures, in many ways, the general ethos inside of our Western modern moment in 21st century America towards the idea of God's presence in a world of suffering. This is what Bet sings. From a distance, the world looks blue and green and the snow-capped mountains look white. From a distance, the ocean meets the stream and the eagle takes to flight. From a distance, she says, there is harmony. A little bit later, she goes, from a distance, we all have enough and no one is in need. There are no guns, no bombs, and no disease, no hungry mouths to feed. From a distance, we are instruments marching in a common band, playing songs of hope, playing songs of peace. They are the songs of every man. And then she sings these words, God is watching us from a distance. You see, the, the core of what she's arguing in this song is, if you step back away from suffering, it looks like things are pretty good on this earth. If you look in at the satellite images of what earth looks like, and it's nice and pretty, and it looks like a blue marble with a little bit of white, and, and, uh, and if you just kind of pull yourself back from the suffering in the world, everything looks clean and good. And what she's saying is, if there's a God, that must be the way he sees us, because I don't know where else he is. The implication is that if God existed and saw what we are facing, he would do something different about it. And so the that what she leaves with is he must just be watching from a distance. He's indifferent. He doesn't care. He's unaware. 
Does that not sound like what our culture says? We, we just got done walking as a church through the, the book of Job, dealing with what does, how does God confront us in our suffering, but the world looks at a world that is in pain and says, if God's not going to fix it, then I guess it's up to us. So surrounded by sickness and illness and death and, and addictions and oppression, surrounded by these things, if God's not looking out for us, then we better get to work. We better get to work. It's up to us. We must save ourselves. You see, because as humans, we cannot avoid this confrontation with suffering. We can't avoid it. It's all around us. You can try to dart your eyes, you can try to plug your ears, but eventually you will be confronted by sickness, death, oppression, and if we think we're going to heal ourselves, what we end up doing as a people is we turn to technology or to technique. To technology or to technique. Something that's going to mitigate against the suffering that we face. If it's up to us, we better get to work. But our text today screams loudly. It's not up to us. We are not alone. Remember, what we're going to do is we're going to look through this passage at three, or we're going to look through this passage at three short stories of Jesus' encounter. And what I want us to remember is this: what Mark is doing in the Gospel of John, or in the Gospel of Mark, is helping us not just see what Jesus did, and not just imagine what Jesus might do, but actually to see who Jesus is. We're not here simply to recollect historical events. We're actually here to recognize and to confront the person of who Jesus is. Let's look at a couple of these verses that um, Leslie read a while ago. Mark 1, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Second story, verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Third story, starting in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. So what do we see about Jesus in this text? Well, the first thing that we see, the first thing that we're confronted here with is the fact that Jesus sees the suffering. So whatever Bette Midler wants to sing about, it's not true. God is not unaware of what's going on. God sees it. In this particular case, he sees, uh, um, he sees Simon's mother-in-law. He sees the masses of Capernaum that come that evening. When they heard news that Jesus had healed her, word spread fast. Everybody brought their sickness. And, and, God, or, and, and Jesus healed many across that city. And then a little bit later, he's walking around Galilee, and a leper comes to him, and he's moved with pity. Where most people darted their eyes at lepers, 
Jesus turned and fixed his eyes on him. Where we often are prone to and tempted to turn our eyes away from suffering, Jesus himself actually locks, us in the, locks his eyes with ours and looks at the suffering. He sees it. He's not unaware. He doesn't sneak out the back door. He's not unaware. He sees our suffering. What else, what else does he do? We see Jesus. Not only does he see the suffering, but he moves towards the suffering. Moves towards it. It's fascinating the way he moves towards it in all three stories, but, I, but the leper story is so critically important to understand that in that context, nobody came close to a leper. Why? Because they didn't know the disease, didn't understand the disease. The only thing they knew is if I come into physical contact, I will likely get leprosy. And so lepers, even inside the Old Testament covenant, were required to walk around yelling, unclean, 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 to warn people, don't come close. Don't come near to me as a way of protecting them. And they obliged. Stay away. But what Jesus does is when he sees the suffering, he doesn't keep, stay at a distance. He comes right up to the point of touching the leper. The one thing you never did. He moves towards the suffering. See, we live in a world in which we try to use our power and our resources to create as much distance as we can between ourselves and suffering, don't we? We're going to try the latest diet fad. We're going to try the light, latest uh, exercise equipment. We're going, to, we're going to jump into whatever technique or technology we can to try to mitigate against the things that we feel and try to pretend that maybe death will never come. That if I have enough power and enough resources, I push suffering away. But Jesus moves right towards it, doesn't he? Jesus sees the suffering and Jesus moves towards the suffering. Now, I don't, I don't know what you brought into the room today. But I guarantee you, a number of you came in carrying some really heavy things. And I want you to see this text, and I want you to hear loudly this promise. Jesus sees you. And Jesus will never come to you and see an amount of suffering that makes him go, I'm going to walk away. That when Jesus sees the suffering, he moves towards the suffering. That's who Jesus is. Now, it's good news to know that Jesus is present with us, but here's, here's, the, here's the, the question is, uh, if he's not powerful enough to deal with it, then where's our hope? So we continue on in this, or I look back at these three stories. All three of them show us this. Jesus confronts, in these three stories, two different enemies. He confronts sickness, and he confronts the demonic. He confronts sickness, and he confronts the demonic. Now, it's interesting, the text is very clear to distinguish between the two. Distinguish between the two as two different sources, two different afflictions. For sickness, Jesus brings healing. For, Jesus, for sickness, Jesus brings healing. There's a sense of almost recreation. That at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God creates everything by speaking a word, and everything comes into existence. 
But, but we know by reading through Genesis that sin infects the world and breaks this world order, breaks our bodies in such a way that sickness and, and suffering invade. And what Jesus does is he steps into this with the power of recreation. The power of recreation. Where creation has been broken and marred, he comes in and recreates. But it's quite different when he confronts the demonic. In the de- demonic, there is an enemy force coming after the person, and in this case, he brings deliverance or freedom. Now, our, our day is not one that likes to, 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 uh, to acknowledge the, 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 the realm of the spiritual, especially in terms of spiritual or supernatural evil. We live in, a, in, in an age in which what we try to do is redefine what's going on to try to get away from the idea that there are, there are invisible forces. But the Bible does not pull away from this at all. The, the Scriptures say very clearly, we don't just, this is Ephesians 6, we don't just wrestle with flesh and blood. There are enemy and principalities and spiritual forces at work. Jesus doesn't meet demons with healing. He meets them with deliverance. He gets rid of them. So Jesus confronts those that are sick with healing, confronts those that are oppressed with deliverance. But what's critical in both of these is to understand this. Jesus' power is absolute. Jesus' power is absolute. Not once does the sickness have a chance or the demonic have a chance. Not against Jesus. Not against Jesus. This is no Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. Or to go a little more recently, uh, McGregor versus Mayweather. This is not two people getting inside of a ring, going to duke it out. We're not sure which one's going to win. Who's got the best uppercut? Who's got the best punch? Who can stay out of the way? We're not sure who's going to win. Yesterday they ran the Preakness. There was, there was, there was a lot of question. Who's gonna, which horse is going to win? We don't know. That's not what's going on in this text. This is not us hoping that Jesus pulls it out in the end. This is not not hopeful that Jesus is going to rally in the ninth. This isn't, this is not uh, McGregor versus Mayweather. This is my boot versus an ant. No contest. Hope not, or that'd be a really big ant. You see what I'm saying? That this is, not, this is the question of God's power is not up for debate on we're trying to figure out who's going to win. God steps into this confrontation with sickness and with the demonic with a power that is absolute. Where do you need that power? Where in your life are you in desperate need of Christ? Not just his presence with you, but his power for you. If, if we were writing the gospel, at this point, we probably would have had Jesus jump in his private jet and circumnavigate the globe, setting, doing healing crusades all over the world. Like, oh man, have you seen what Jesus did? A miracle worker. Let's give him a, a white tuxedo and let's put him up on a stage and let's have him wave his hands and heal everybody. That'd be awesome. Jesus is no mere miracle worker. Jesus wasn't here doing these things to show off. 
You see, we might look at this and go, why didn't Jesus start a global healing ministry? Why didn't Jesus go on a campaign and crusade to eliminate suffering in the world? I mean, if he has the power to, why doesn't he? That actually is a question that the text wants us to wrestle with. And I know you wrestle with it, because I do. Not many of you in this room know my story, but I have walked through some really significant health uh, stuff over the last 15 years. Heart attack at 27, diagnosed congestive heart failure about eight years ago. My heart just doesn't work like it's supposed to. A battery in my heart to try to keep it from quitting. And I've asked God so many times for healing. And I've got friends who suffer from chronic pain and have spent hours and days and weeks and years praying and asking God for mercy, just wishing honestly that he would be the miracle worker that just went around and just did whiz-bang stuff everywhere. And I'm guessing that there's many of you in this room that have gotten tired of praying for healing, not getting it. And this text forces us to confront that. Because Jesus does see and he does have the power but there's something else going on in this text as well. Look at verse 35. Mark 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Now, pause for a second. Why are they looking for him? Because he just healed a bunch of people. I'd be looking for him too. Everybody sees what he did and they long for it, so they go looking for him. And so Simon shows up like, Jesus, where'd you go? And now look at this. Look at what Jesus says in response. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns, listen, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. As incredible as God's confronting sickness and confronting demonic oppression with power that brings healing and deliverance, as amazing as that is, that healing and deliverance is not the final hope of humanity. I mean, look, Jesus walks in and, and raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And you know what? Lazarus ain't alive no more. No amount of healing is going to ultimately fix what is needed to be fixed. No amount of healing or deliverance is, uh, of the kind that we're talking about here are ultimate that this healing itself is actually pointing us towards a future healing and a future deliverance. It's a sign pointing the way. That actually what Jesus is doing when he, when he does something as small as come along his friend's mother-in-law and, and get rid of a fever and then step alongside a leper who's been ostracized by civilization for who knows how long and heals him, both of those are simply uh, markers pointing to a greater healing and a greater deliverance, one that we need at the end of all things. That what God is doing is giving us a foretaste of what's coming. 
that the healing and the deliverance that we see here, healings and deliverances that I've seen and experienced among friends of mine now are in and of themselves not ultimate. They are foretastes for a greater feast to come, a greater healing to come, a greater deliverance to come. But don't miss this. When Jesus says this, he's not dismissing healing or deliverance as if it's irrelevant. Because what does it say right here? He says, I came here to preach, right, that I I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Verse 39, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and what? I'm waiting. Louder. Casting out demons. So he didn't quit, did he? The fact that healing and deliverance are pointing to a greater healing doesn't mean he stops. It's just saying that those things are not ultimate. That ultimately what Jesus is coming is preaching a greater healing and a greater deliverance. That these are simply foretastes of. But he continues healing. If I continue to read in the New Testament, if I go to 1 Corinthians, I see Paul talking about the gifts of the Spirit given to the church. And one of those is, are the gifts of healings. James will say to those that are sick, if you're sick and oppressed and and feeling something, call the elders, have them come to your house, anoint you with oil, and pray for you that you may be healed. We are to pray with faith for healing, and God still heals. He still heals. I could go down a list of good friends of mine and family members. One of our elders at Frontline South was miraculously healed of cancer a couple years ago. Goes into the doctor and there's cancer. He comes back and there's no cancer. He said, what happened, doctor? And he goes, I don't know. Well, I know. God healed him. Just two weeks ago, we had a couple of our leaders at Frontline Downtown that prayed with a woman that came in that was oppressed by a demon. And they began to realize what was going on. And they pressed in and prayed and rebuked it. And it left and she was free by the time they got done. That was two weeks ago at Frontline Downtown. That's not 2,000 years ago. This was two weeks ago. My point is this, just because the healing and the deliverance is not final doesn't mean it's not a good gift that God still wants to give. And yet, our hope is not in that healing. I'm still asking God for healing because I don't know why God hasn't healed me yet. And I don't know if He will heal me in this life. Some of you are wondering why you've prayed so long. And I don't know the answer to that. What I can say this is that Jesus sees, and Jesus doesn't run from suffering, he moves towards it. And he has the power to heal, so our trust and our hope is put in him. So here's, here's what I'm going to say. If you've been asking God for healing, I'm just going to say this. Keep asking. If he doesn't heal, be reminded of the fact that the healings in this world are pointing us to a healing that will come one day that will be final and secure. So we will ask in faith, but we will continue to wait Because our hope ultimately is not in healing and deliverance. Our hope is in Jesus. 
Our hope is not in what he gives us. Our hope is in him, in what he has promised, and what he will do. So I just want to ask this. What are you carrying today? What did you bring in the room today? Maybe it's a personal sickness or illness. Maybe it's a mental health issue. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you're carrying the, the, the burden of having walked with family members through theirs and you're carrying the burden of their health. Whatever it is you're carrying, I want to say so clearly, I'm not your hope. This church isn't your hope. Jesus is your hope. He sees you. He moves towards you. He has power and he has promised us. See, Jesus is still who Mark said he is. He is still present. He is still powerful. He still heals and delivers. But he also will continue and never stop to point us to a future hope. So here's what I want to say. If, if you came today and, and you're, you're sick, I want you to, I mean, we're going to have some people up here later to pray, and I want to ask you to come up and get prayer for healing. If you came in feeling oppressed or bound, I want you to come up and let's pray. If you're coming in carrying wounds and burdens that you don't think God has seen, but you now see that Jesus does, I want you to come up and I want you to get prayer. I don't want you walking out of this room carrying those weights, carrying those burdens, and not asking Jesus to meet you where you are. I don't know what he's going to do in that moment. But I do know that what he calls us to as a good father is to come to him. And he promises that whether we find healing in this life or not, we will find it in future hope. But let's not keep that from asking, uh, asking God for healing today. Can I pray for us? God, would you meet us in this? I don't know what you're doing in the room. I don't know what you're stirring in hearts in this room. I'm just asking you, Jesus, to meet us here. For some that feel that you have been distant, God, would you show them that you are near? For some that have doubted your power, would you show up in power? Our, our hope, God, is not in you doing our bidding. Our hope is in the fact that you are who you are. But we come to you as children asking for good gifts. And so I'm asking that you would meet us this morning, in this moment, with the burdens that came into the room. Be near to us, Jesus, I pray.